the most valuable resource in the world is human potential. It's not gold, it's not oil, but we have the most sophisticated tools to get gold and oil out of the ground, but it still feels like we're using pickaxes on a mountain trying to mine human potential. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Selling with Love podcast. Now, oh my God, today's episode is going to be so amazing because I just discovered this amazing organization that is really pushing the boundaries of what the future of education could look like. Now, you might have looked at terms when you look into the world of startups and heard of these companies called unicorn companies, right? Which would be labeled as these giant organizations that make billions of dollars. Well, what we forget is that unicorn companies or any amazing company is made out of amazing people. And what I've found and discovered is this group of entrepreneurs who have formed this knowledge society. They're called TKS, the Knowledge Society. And what they really do is help young people become unicorn people. How important is it that we are nurturing the right talents from amazing people to the ages of 13 to 17 years old to be the leaders that we need for tomorrow? We know there are problems in the world today. And as for myself, I see that sales is an energy exchange between conscious beings. And when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, love is the emotion that fills the gap. And if anybody's familiar with the methodology, the first thing we look at is the impact. Now, impact is always related to problems we want to solve in the world. We know there are problems today, and an organization like TKS is creating the people that are going into organization and solving some of the world's biggest problems. And the co-founder and executive director is with me right now, Nadim Nathu. Now, this man has an amazing background working for McKinsey, raising tens of millions of dollars into fields such as nuclear-powered ships, AI batteries, blockchain infrastructure, medical devices. And now they are nurturing the talent of tomorrow, placing them into amazing organizations that you would have heard of, the big ones. And I'm so excited that he's here to share more about his organization, the role that communication and sales plays, and some of the big problems we're going to solve tomorrow. Nadim, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you. Jason, let's have some fun, man. Excited. Now, I love the fact that you've started in a world of consulting. And, you know, for most people that think of consulting, it's a dry field. You look at the numbers and it's just about like maximizing shareholder value. Yet here you are coming from consulting and now working at something that is so mission driven, it's inspiring. And I'd love to kind of cross that bridge to see how you've went from consulting into this world of creating this startup. Well, it's funny because... I graduated university immediately exploring a bunch of different problems in areas like transportation, semiconductors, medical devices during my work at McKinsey. And I was working with, you know, some of the top CEOs from around the world. On the flip side, my brother Naveed started an enterprise security company, so not super sexy, but ended up getting acquired by a larger multi-billion dollar company, which is now public, called Box.com. And he was leading their AI and machine learning team. And so... I decided to go down to the Valley because I ended up getting involved in the crypto space fairly early on. And one day, Naveed and I are in a hot tub where, you know, a lot of good philosophical conversations happen. And I ask him, I'm like, what if we had 10 billion bucks in the bank with a B, right? How would we spend our time? And immediately three problems that we were excited about and that we thought were really important came up that we wanted to solve. 
and we're like, okay, say we dedicated the rest of our lives to address one of these problems. And say we knocked it out of the park, right? We did it. What about these hundreds of other problems that are impacting hundreds of millions, if not billions of people, right? And it was very clear that it was an infrastructure problem that existed. And the naive thought was, okay, well, what if we can create an institution that specifically trains people to solve important problems? Like, imagine the Olympics didn't exist. How many 12-year-olds would wake up and be like, you know what, I want to dedicate the rest of my life to being super fast in the water. It feels a little bit inconceivable. Whereas now, what we do expect is 22-year-olds or 30-year-olds to just randomly discover a problem based off kind of serendipity and all this stuff that's happening in life and have the competency and the risk profile to be able to execute on it well. And so the analogy that I kind of use is, imagine there was a king or queen of the world, right? Just humor me for a second. Imagine there was a king or queen of the world. And say their main KPI, the thing that they were being measured on, was optimizing quality of life for all their royal subjects. Hopefully that's good KPI, right? Optimizing quality of life. Okay, so every week you get a list of all the things that were adversely affecting quality of life, right? You have mental health, climate change, poverty, whatever you want to put in this list. And imagine the king or queen looking down at this list every week and being like, actually, I'm going to let my royal subjects figure out the answers to all these questions without any help and without even being able to see this list. That sounds silly, right? They would be a terrible king or queen of the world. That's the world today. That's messed up, right? What they would do is say, okay, we have this important problem. Let's get these people here and fund them or whatever the case it is to tackle this. Oh, we don't have as many skilled people to tackle this problem. Okay, let's train them to do it. And what we asked ourselves was, is there an institution that is training people to solve important problems today? What became very clear, it's not the universities of the world. It's not the YCs of the world. So we're like, okay, would this be a bad thing if it existed? No. Do we need 10 billion? No. So we left everything to figure it out. We didn't know if it was going to be a tech company. We didn't even know the name. None of that. Fast forward, you know, six years later, as you alluded to, the youngest employees at companies like OpenAI, Microsoft, IBM, Neuralink, SpaceX, NASA are all TKS students. They've raised at a quarter billion dollar valuation. And some of the industries that you talked about, medical devices, blockchain, you know, some of the hottest companies right now in the space, people might not know, but are founded by some TKS students, which is pretty awesome to see. So that's kind of the, the mission now is how can we just extract and harness human potential globally to create as much of an exciting future as possible. Okay, that's absolutely incredible. And, you know, you've actually identified a big problem, call it in the marketplace, right? And, you know, it doesn't seem like everybody's turning a blind eye to this, but there's a lot of people that I'm sure are thinking about making changes in here, and they've understood that education needs to be a frontier that changes the way that we perceive or train talent. We see how education has been like done in the wrong way, creating factory workers, which is not what we need anymore. But it seems like the way you've executed it has brought some amazing results. Like these people are getting the top jobs when they go through your program. So I'd be curious about, is it a question of the approach that you've taken that is different than any other that has made it so successful? It is definitely the approach. We've pretty much built a completely new education system, a new way for young people to learn. You alluded to this. The education system was essentially built to train factory workers. That was its intention, okay? And so I'll use an analogy. Say you have an engine right? And an engine is performing at whatever it's performing at. And say you were like, okay, I want to make this engine go 10% further and 10% faster, right, of this car. I want this car to go 10% further, 10% faster because I'm making tweaks to this engine. So you can iterate on the engine, right? You can make some improvements, 10%, 30%, whatever here. Say I asked you, I want this car to go 10 times further and 10 times faster. You need a complete redesign of the engine. And so if the education system was built to train factory workers, yeah, if you want to get 10% improvement outcomes, 20% improvement outcomes, student outcomes, yeah, you might be able to tweak the system. If you're asking how can we 10x 
the amount of learning and development that people can get, and we just choose to focus on young people, you need a completely different system, right? And so that's essentially what we did. It, it is absolutely the approach. The challenge with the education system and the reason why it hasn't changed in a while is it is essentially a government-run monopoly. And if you have a government-run monopoly, or any monopoly for that matter, there's no incentive to innovate. Not only that is you have a guaranteed customer. So when you have a guaranteed customer, no incentive to innovate, no competition, what reason do you have to change or even take risks or do all this stuff? Historically, there were very few industries that didn't have a competitor. Even money, like paper money for the longest time, fiat as a whole, didn't have a competitor. Now we have crypto as a meaningful competitor to fiat. Education is one of the only industries that I can think of that doesn't have a meaningful competitor at all. And so, you know, for us, what we decided to do is really think about education from first principles. What are the goals that we want to train in young people and design a system that works backwards from that? So for us, the outcomes that we want to train are knowledge, skills, mindsets, and networks. Knowledge, skills, mindsets, and networks. We believe if we can index you very well on each of these four metrics, you will feel like a superpowered human being. That's our thesis. Okay, now how can we design a system that optimizes for that? versus building factory workers. And I think intuitively, most people listening to this will be able to understand, oh, obviously, you know, I can conceive now how you can get these disproportionate outcomes if you design a system that way. Well, I find that's fascinating because you went through kind of identifying what are the big levers that need to move to create these successful superhuman unicorns, as you call them. And you look at some of the options that might have innovated out of this like public service. And I'm, I'm from Canada, I believe you guys as well. Yeah. And, you know, we had public school, but then you had people that were trying to innovate and in making school better for kids, like private schools would come up. And for some reason, they're still missing the mark. So what has happened in the marketplace where, like, we think going to private school is going to be the answer, but it doesn't create those exponential results, yet you guys were able to? I think the system is very established from a top-down perspective. Here's what I mean by this. Your incentive in secondary, from K to 12, is to get amazing grades so you can get into university, right? Okay, so university is measuring this metric of how well you do in high school. And so therefore you're incentivized to get 100% on this calculus test or memorize what photosynthesis is, which might not necessarily trickle to what employers want, right? And so you go to university and most of the time university is not a place to explore. It's expensive to switch, it's taboo to switch, a lot of young people make a decision about going to university, which, by the way, is the most important financial decision that they'll make for a really long time based off the brand of the university or if their friends are going there. In my case, I literally flipped a coin. Heads was business. Tails was genetics. That's a true story. And I decided the institution that I went to because my brother was going there. He had a car and we fit into the same clothes and I hated shopping. And the decision-making framework for young people isn't much different today. But imagine the things that you were measuring we're not memorizing and regurgitating content. Imagine the things that you were measuring was actual competency, building a portfolio. How can I measure these four things that I talked about, knowledge, skills, mindsets, networks, versus memorizing how much you know about a particular topic? And because the evaluation system is so ingrained from K to 12, post-secondary and beyond, it becomes very difficult to iterate on what the education system is because the parameters are so defined. And what we had to do is let's completely, we had to take a risk, right? And say, let's completely get rid of these parameters and see what we can do. And it just so turns out that companies who are hiring these young people, right? As I mentioned, as 15, 16 years old, they do 
care about some of these other things beyond just grades. And I think the challenge that the world has to figure out is how do you scale different evaluation methods such that we can just iterate on the education system a little bit more effectively. You know, this is so fascinating. It seems so obvious when you point it out the way you were putting it out, not having any of these constraints. And then you hear these companies like the Googles and all the big ones, they're not even looking for college degrees anymore. That's not even a requirement to be hired at these companies. They just need people that have these kinds of competencies. And now you're seeing these things like a great resignation, a massive shortage of people, and they're trying to find the right jobs. And there's just a massive gap between what people need to be equipped to be able to fulfill these jobs, which are becoming more and more demanding of knowledge, demanding of expertise that you speak about. But one thing I wanted to highlight is these same competencies are things that we need to work through as adults as well. Now, you do focus on younger people, but if you are somebody that's listening to this podcast saying, wow, these look like great things I should be learning, is it too late for me? Like, I, I can't learn this? Or like, you only work with young people? Or are there things that I can do in my adulthood to make sure that I become more competent for these things? The way we designed TKS wasn't for young people. We designed what is the best human development vehicle possible based off our hypotheses, and we just chose to focus on young people. So the four things that I mentioned, I think if you really want to accelerate your personal development, I think still hold, right? Knowledge, skills, mindsets, and networks. And we believe the best way to learn something is by building something or by executing on something or practicing something, right? In sales in particular, it is about the reps. So it's effort and approach. You can spend a lot of effort and getting a lot of reps in, but you, if you have a poor approach to sales, you're not going to be moving the needle as much. Say you have an amazing approach. So say you're just a natural, you get it, you have the knack, but you don't have the effort then you're just shooting yourself in the foot because for every additional hour, every additional call that you got on, you're going to get the result. And so it's really trying to identify for yourself, is it an issue with my effort or is it an issue with my approach? And working with some really smart people to be able to give you feedback and be a third eye is super valuable. So I'll give you an example. At TKS, these young people come in, they go through this learning process, but they have coaches and we call them directors. So they're not teachers. And the backgrounds of these directors are, you know, they're former founders, they've worked at top tech companies, startups, venture capital, consulting. They're really awesome at what they do. And for them to wake up every single day and think about how they can make these young people's lives better is invaluable. I, what I tell our young people, what I tell our students is they're the only people beside your parents who wake up every single day thinking about how to make your life better. No one else does that. And you have some ridiculously smart people doing that. And so that's why I think podcasts like these are really important, but also having a mentor having a guide in sales or marketing or product, whatever industry that you're in, because you need to know what great looks like, right? Part of the problem with our current education system is let's talk about how to be an amazing communicator as an example, right? Part of our problem is the current system will sometimes portray a seven out of 10 as a 10 out of 10. So if you're a young person, you wanna be an amazing communicator, you're gonna see what your teacher says is a 10 out of 10, but it's actually a seven out of 10. So you spend all this time and effort and energy just trying to be a little bit better than average. Whereas if a young person was just shown a 10 out of 10, like an actual 10 out of 10 from the beginning, that's more than half the battle. They will figure it out if they're truly motivated on how to get there. And that's a big thing that I think a lot of people in professional services miss is just what does a 10 out of 10 look like? How can I see it? Can I see a call? Most of the time you'll just see podcasts, you'll see content, people giving advice. But for example, say you were evaluating an amazing basketball player, you wanna analyze their game. 
you have game tape, you have footage. Well, what is the game tape or footage equivalent for professionals? It's really hard to get that unless you have someone to be a mentor or guide. And that's why you get a TKS. You essentially get your personal coach who's with you along the way, who's constantly pushing your thinking, constantly calibrating, showing you what good looks like, reminding you what good looks like. Even if you know what good looks like, sometimes you forget and you slip into this mindset of complacency, right? So I think all of these things are transferable for sure. I love that. And, you know, I think even in my journey, when I think of what are the biggest skills that I've developed, there's always been in the concept of an employment, right? Like through the jobs that I've had, if they were able to provide me that kind of mentorship or coaching is really what gave me the leaps to move forward. And I'd be curious to know, like you're coming here, you're building this amazing organization. It's bringing a ton of results. And it seems like you're operating at quite a high level. Would you agree that you were able to get these kinds of mentorships and role models and understanding how to be a top performer through the employments you had, or was it through your education? How, how did you find yourself being someone that's here pursuing such a big, impactful mission? So I feel super lucky because honestly, I didn't really have that. I didn't have a lot of mentors. My parents had a grade nine education. They're from East Africa, the classic immigrant story. My parents weren't educated. They couldn't help me with anything. I grew up in Calgary, which is an oil and gas town. No historical appetite for innovation. Most people wouldn't leave. And so my story and Navid's story, who's my brother, actually is a story of serendipity. It's a story of luck. One of the things that we say at TKS is the only way to achieve unconventional success is to follow an unconventional path. You can't expect to do the same thing as everyone else and achieve a different result. And this applies to anything, fitness, relationships, sales, whatever. If you wanna be exceptional at anything, you can't do the same thing as everybody. And so that was always, I think, Naveed in my mind's heuristic, despite not having any mentors, despite not having many people to look up to, but solving for how can we be unconventional, solving for how can we take risk, I think the internet has been massive for showing people what ambition looks like. You know, 20, 30 years ago, if you wanted to get amazing at business, if you wanted to make a lot of money, a question you might get asked is, who would you love to learn from? Who would you love to be in a room with? Some people might say Jeff Bezos. Some people might say Warren Buffett as an example. But it was virtually impossible to be able to get into those rooms. Now, with a quick YouTube search, you can get into all of these rooms and write. So we were able to kind of hear what people were talking about. We were able to get an extent of what people's ambition was like. And so I think we might be a little bit of the oddities and, and the oddballs here where we didn't actually have a lot of mentors, but we were able to get exposure to people that I think inspired us to be like, oh, we can definitely do that too. But it, that's not the ideal way. Like we built TKS based off what we wished we had. I, I wish we had people to talk to. If you think about a young person today, who do they talk to beside their parents, an older cousin and their teacher? So where do you get this outside injection of knowledge, this wisdom that I think, you know, the interesting thing about the education system is most people over the age of 25 know that it can be massively improved. But for some reason, it doesn't end up getting translated most young people who are going through the system is like, oh, well, let me trust the system. If I get 100%, I will get the best job and that'll improve my chance of changing the world. But here's the thing, there's a massive gap. And part of that reason is we don't have a good translation mechanism for adults to young people. And so my advice to people who are listening to this is that is the utility of finding not just a mentor, but a coach. So here's the difference between a mentor and a coach. So for people who watch sports, Say LeBron's mentor was magic. If LeBron wins a championship, who gets a ring? LeBron gets a ring. Magic doesn't get a ring. But 
if LeBron wins a championship, who also gets a ring? Your coach. Because your coach is on your team. The mentor is still one step removed. So I think people oftentimes enter mentorship relationships thinking that they're going to be their coach. And that's a misaligned relationship because the mentor is like, I'm going to give you advice. I want to be helpful. Your success is pretty much your own. I'll take a small credit for it. But your coach is on your team. If you win, I win. And the best way to do that, in my opinion, is how can they have skin in the game? How can they have stake in you? Right. So if you win, they actually do win financially, all of those things. Right. You know, if we had more time, we could go into what are different models to be able to do this. But I, I think that could be an interesting thought for people listening to this who want to improve and who want to get amazing coaches, how they could think about their relationships with them. That's actually a very interesting direction that you're taking this because, you know, there's a lot of people that do listen to this podcast who might find themselves being a coach themselves. Yet I haven't heard of anybody having these very creative I don't know if we consider a compensation model as a coach that ties towards the success of the people that you do coach. And so I'd be curious for you to share more about that because I think that might actually spark some interest for some people that are looking for how to even price their own services. Uh, But also what are some of the key things that they get to do as a coach that makes them really successful in creating the impact in the people they coach? So let me give you an example of one of the things we're just starting to establish with TKS. Okay, TKS is not an entrepreneurship program. It just so happens that a lot of young people gravitate towards entrepreneurship because you don't need permission from anyone, right? So say you want to work at SpaceX, you still need a job opening and you still need someone to say yes. If you wanted to work in a research lab, you still need a principal investigator to be like, yep, I'll take you under my wing. But for entrepreneurship, you don't need permission. So this is why we see a lot of young people gravitating towards that. And what ends up happening is that TKS students have raised at over a half or a quarter billion dollar valuation. And this is really only in the last two years, two, three years. Because remember, we were starting with students who are 13 and 17, so the oldest alumni now is only 23 years old, okay? So imagine this. Imagine TKS had a fund, right, where we could also invest and support these young people who we've developed. And say you were the TKS director at the time who was training these young people. It's five years later, you're no longer with TKS. If the student raises and there ends up being a liquidity event, that director automatically gets some percentage of carry from that investment. So they are incentivized, even though the value isn't going to come for years and years, to stay longer, work with more young people, and put in the effort each and every single day because they don't even have to give capital. But in 5, 10 years, if a young person starts a company and exit, it was part of their coaching that acted as a catalyst for this. And so you can think about other models. I think there's probably an opportunity to start a company around this to provide incentives for coaches. So say, for example, you got a sales coach and you wanted to give automatically some percent of the commission that you got if you were able to increase your performance by X percent. That makes a lot of sense. That's not a new idea. How do you facilitate that transaction and kind of have that agreement is, I think, the thing that's missing. So that causes a little bit of a friction for you to not necessarily Yeah, but you know what? We're looking at the innovations that are happening in like blockchain technology and smart contract. This is where it's heading. I would be so excited. Imagine you get to coach somebody and it's like, hey, why don't we put a smart contract together? We'll look at your current sales numbers and whatever percentage increase that happens next month, let's tie into a 10% kickback. And then I get to be incentivized of always making sure you're a top performer. That would be glorious. So I'll give you another example of a really interesting incentive model that is starting to be thought about more on the blockchain, okay? 
So one heuristic that I think a lot of people have been thinking about with the proliferation of technology is what careers are going to exist 10 years from now that don't exist today, right? 10, 15 years ago, you wouldn't have thought a streamer would be a career. Whereas now, or forget about streamer, even like YouTuber, right? Whereas Mr. Beast is on a path to being a billionaire. And some of these other people who are even starting companies from the influence that they've gotten. So what that means is they've generated a lot of enterprise value, but the people who are responsible for their success are who? The users or the, their viewers, their followers, right? Because if they didn't have followers, if they didn't have eyeballs, they wouldn't be worth all this much. So imagine this, 10 years from now, a influencer scout being a career. Let me explain this. So imagine there was a platform where if you were in the first 10 followers and you met certain criteria, you shared X amount of content or you, know, you viewed 90% of their content that was coming out or whatever, you would get X percent of their ad revenue moving forward. And so you have an incentive to be an early adopter, but you're taking a risk, right? Because if you spend all this time and investing all this time into this follower that doesn't pop off, well, then you won't get anything down the line. And so you have to be an amazing scout of talent. If you're between 10 and 100, maybe you get a certain percent. Maybe if you're between you know, 100 and 1,000, you get a certain percent. But here's my point is now all of a sudden, you can imagine a world where you're creating a career off identifying amazing talent, being an early adopter, sharing their content, engaging with their content, providing feedback, but then you also benefit down the line, right? So it's an interesting way to fragment the attention economy a little bit more and align incentives a lot better. And so again, for people listening to this, say you're amazing at sales and you're like, you know what? This is really interesting. How can I do this for salespeople? How can I do this for marketers? How can we align incentives with people who are amazing at something who actually help you move the needle and give them some sort of incentive for making you better? Because then they're going to work harder. I mean, that's the whole idea behind equity, right? And why equity is such an awesome motivator. And so how can you be a little bit more thoughtful about these incentive systems when you are working with people who are helping coach you so that the outcomes are aligned? I find this so fascinating, Nadim, because uh, even if we look at the companies, like right now, it seems like the most known and used instrument for us to be able to quantify the value of somebody we want to invest to is if they have a company publicly listed and then we get to invest into it. But then, you know, are people really investing into Tesla or are they investing into Elon Musk as the person who is steering the ship of that company? And in the same way that I'm feeling like we're going to be having people not necessarily be entities anymore, but rather being individuals like personal brands that you get to invest in and saying, wow, like, well, I mean, you could see the example and love him or hate him, but let's use Elon since he's such a, a known figure. But it's like, if you're invested in Elon Musk and he goes and takes over something like Twitter, well, then are you betting on somebody like that to actually bring the value up or value down? Or if you're seeing these young people, even coming from TKS, which is like, hey, I want to say that, you know, I know that talent coming out of TKS usually goes to do big things. I can invest in this talent. And so now there's so much more capital flowing in the right places, allocated more properly. And now we're having the right flows around the problems we want to solve. You guys are doing awesome stuff. Thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, our goal now is how can we service as many young people as possible? How can we provide them the support that they need? to improve the probability that they solve these really important problems in the world. But I think most importantly, how can we provide a forcing function for the education system as a whole to be like, hmm, you know what? These guys are proving out some validation points. Maybe it is a little less risky to change. Maybe it is a little less risky to try something different because that was part of it, right? Is which government, because remember from K to 12, it's essentially a government run monopoly, is gonna take the risk 
to change evaluation methods, to change content, because they got it. You can't do this for one school. It's very difficult to be like, okay, this is the guinea pig school because then now you're, you're playing with certain people's lives. Whereas if on mass, you're starting to see a lot of these data points, hopefully it gives some of these decision makers enough confidence to be like, hmm, maybe we can actually change in a bigger way versus a smaller way because this institution, as in TKS, has tested out different ways of, of learning and developing. So that's our, our long-term goal, is how can we be a major forcing function to completely disrupt education and encourage other people who are working in the space to think a little bit more ambitiously versus incrementally about the space. That's fantastic. Now, as one of the co-founders, obviously you need to go out there and you have to kind of sell this idea and you must have had some initial students that first went into your program. And so I'm assuming there must have been an interesting sales process where you had to convince, was it the, the parents that it was a better choice to send the schools to work with you as opposed to go through the traditional system? And I'd love for you to share, what were those early days like when you had to do a bunch of sales, but you might not have had the experience or testimonials to show that your method was going to bring a bigger result? And we're talking about people's children, so I'm sure there was a lot of emotions involved. 100%. And it's no different sales psychology than I think most people would use selling a product. So for us, we had to understand, okay, who are the ideal customer or user personas, right? So what does that look like? For TKS, there's really three personas. First, the people who are interested in emerging technologies, right? AI, quantum, nanotech, they see all these words and they get really excited. The second is for people who want to have impact. So how do we turn the activists into people who are taking action, right? These young people who are like, you know, climate change is a problem. We need to solve this. Cancer is a problem. We need to solve this. So if they have this fire, they want to have impact. That's what's driving them, but they don't know how to get there. And then the third is the misfits, right? The people who, for whatever reason, school doesn't feel like the right fit. And that can be people who are crushing school and they're bored or people who aren't doing as well in school but they feel competent, they just, they're like, why isn't this working for me? So those are the three personas. Okay, fine, now that you understand these three personas, it's how are you articulating, so A, when you're targeting these personas, imagine I had a, a session where I got these three user groups in. I would have to hit each of these points such that someone in each of these personas really resonate, right? It's much better if I can segregate these audiences, so to find the people who are tech-focused, to find the people who are impact-focused, so I can very specifically focus on this one message, right? So for example, say I wanted to target people who are interested in tech. You know, I might reach out to hackathons that are focusing on young people. So again, it's, it's very similar. I don't think people are going to be mind-blown about this, but initially when we started, we didn't talk about the future of education or anything like that. It was, how can we train young people to solve important problems? And there were three pages that got people really excited. The first was the page around emerging technologies. Here's the thing that you're gonna learn that's on the bleeding edge, right? The second was a page on some of the most important problems in the world and our hypothesis for how to get you there. And then the third was actually our mentor page, which was a bunch of our friends, right? So we had people from Apple, SpaceX, Facebook, Microsoft, IBM, and this page was, okay, get exposure and learn from these people. And in the early days, I think that was enough to get people on. I think one mentality that your audience should be thinking about is this framework of why do I come, why do I stay, and what do I get? Why do I come, why do I stay, what do I get? And if you're able to thoughtfully answer these questions and it makes a lot of sense, then it becomes executional risk at that point. If you're not asking yourself those questions, then you're just hoping that your intuition is gonna be able to nail all of this 
But I think that is a really good framework, even to reduce churn, to improve word of mouth, all of this stuff. So again, it's not a secret. It's basic kind of sales psychology. And our mentality is how can we provide the best, not just customer experience when they join, but user acquisition experience. So they feel throughout the whole process, wow, this is, you know, if to your point, if parents are taking a risk, how can we make it as much of an awesome experience, even being onboarded as much as possible? So if you're on a sales call and the sales call goes really well, you're on two minutes before, your software that you're using is really awesome, you've prepped a bunch of things for them. I mean, you guys are hearing this, you know that it's gonna lead to better conversions, right? And so, you know, we kind of did a similar thing, but it was just less obvious what those things were at the time. But, you know, we had a hypothesis and we just executed and iterated and, and went from there. Nadim, I feel like we could keep this conversation going for a long time. It's so fascinating what you guys have put together. But what really inspires me and I think is going to be the same for everybody listening here is that what started from an amazing idea then moved into creating something absolutely incredible. And just like how you were able to have all these connections within these different organizations that really became something so important to show that you were serious about your program, connections at Apple, I think connections at SpaceX and all that. Well, that was part of your network. So almost like what had success in your organization are the same things you're going to teach to the people. I do want to stress that for anybody tuning in, regardless of the age that you're at, understanding power of network, these skills, competencies, and mindset, how powerful it is for you to be at your peak performance when you start moving on all of these things. And the way that TKS was formed came from an amazing idea. It started with an impact, a huge one. Second thing being like understanding your client. And it's funny you said that, Denis, because... The second love in selling with love methodology is love the client and the way to love them is to understand them. You guys did this so well so that it led to the third love of selling that I speak about, which is love the product. So you've built the most incredible transformational experience and you took a gamble. You, you took a chance. You said, listen, we've built what we think is the best. And when you brought the first people in, you did everything you could to make it the best possible. And now the result starts to come in, the social proof comes in and you're getting to churn in more and more success through your program. And now it's going around the world. You shared a long-term vision, but I wanted to go into the medium term and ask you, in the next year, we're seeing so much transformation happening around the world, finance, businesses, economy, all that stuff. I'd be curious to know, what's the most exciting thing about the upcoming year for you and your team? For TKS, it is geographic expansion. So prior to the pandemic, TKS was in Toronto, Ottawa, Vancouver, New York, Boston, LA, and Vegas, right? Pandemic hit, we had to go virtual overnight. The silver lining to going virtual overnight is now we have students from over 150 cities, 50 countries, and these countries are like Uzbekistan, Syria, Mexico. It's not the Switzerland's or the UK's of the world. So where we're identifying and you know we're getting some of these people is just really great to see and, and what they're able to accomplish is awesome. But now that the world has figured out how to manage the pandemic a little bit better, we had to make a choice. Do we scale virtually or do we include geographic expansion in our strategy? Scaling virtually made sense on every single dimension, right? CAC is lower. We're able to expose young people all over the world who are the most curious and driven young people. When we're hiring directors, we don't have to focus on geography. Despite all this, we still made a decision to focus on geographic expansion. Why? Is because we really, we really were prioritizing the user experience or the student experience as the number one most important thing. And the analogy that I use is like, Say you were climbing Everest with someone who was on the other side of the mountain and you were on FaceTime together. Technically, you both went through the hardship at the same time, but it just feels different. And so for us, really excited to get 
these young people back together, building these relationships, really enjoying the journey, not the destination. It's almost like, say you wanted to get fit, January 1st hits, right? And you want to get fit, so what do you do? You've never stepped foot into a gym, but you, you get a gym membership. So you walk into the gym, and first of all, you see all these people who are super jacked around you, and it gets a little bit intimidating, okay? You're looking at all this equipment. You have no idea how to use the equipment, but you start your sore three days after. You don't know if it's a good sore or if it's a bad sore. You've been working out for two weeks. You don't see any results. There's so many points along the way where you'll quit, right? Imagine you walk into the gym. Someone greets you with a warm smile and be like, hey, I know it's your first time, but everyone here is super supportive. We got your back. Oh, feels nice. You go out to use the equipment. One of these super jacked people come to help you. They teach you how to use it. And they're like, hey, by the way, I know this might seem intimidating, but I was once there where you were, right? So I got this. Imagine you meet your gym buddy uh, and you're like, hey, every Thursday, let's meet at the gym. So you, by being a little bit more intentional about your gym experience, you have now dramatically improved the probability that you'll stick with it. And that's a mentality that we have with TKAS as well. It's hard to build a machine learning algorithm that can detect skin cancer 10% more accurately than dermatologists as a 14-year-old who doesn't even know how to code when you're starting is hard. And so, you know, not only is, is it a funner experience for these kids, but I do think it will just improve the probability that they're they will go through the hard thing and come out the other side feeling a lot better about themselves. So that's one thing that I'm really excited about is geographic expansion. And the following year after that is international expansion. So going to a bunch of these places in the world that you might not necessarily expect to see a TKS. But again, if we've built this institution to train people to solve important problems in the world, it would be so arrogant to be like, oh, only the young people in North America will be able to solve these global problems. No. We are not doing a good job of mining human potential globally. Like one of our theses when we were starting TKS was, you know, the most valuable resource in the world is human potential. It's not gold. It's not oil. But we have the most sophisticated tools to get gold and oil out of the ground, but it still feels like we're using pickaxes on a mountain trying to mine human potential, right? So for us, that really is the mission. And so super excited to serve young people from a bunch of different geographies, from backgrounds that you would not expect in villages in certain places, because I want the world to see that the people who end up solving these really important problems in the world don't come from a homogenous background. And it really is identifying the most curious and driven people and giving them the shot to see how they can happen to the world versus just be in a world where the world is happening to them. Nadim, fantastic. So excited that I got to have you sharing this with everyone who's listening in. I'm going to make sure there are some show notes here, some links there that are going to get people to learn more about TKS. What you're doing is fantastic. I'm so excited that there are people in the world like you that are solving some amazing problems because we have problems. And seeing something like this that is generating and fostering this talent, these young people that are going out there and doing important stuff is absolutely fantastic. I wish you the best. Super excited. Thank you for coming on the show. I'll ask you one final question that I'd love to ask all my guests, which is uh, you are on the Selling with Love podcast. And I wanted to ask you, what does selling with love mean to you? I think it really is loving both the journey and the destination of what you're doing. So say you're selling a product that you really believe in and you really believe that your customer's life will be better because of this, now you are operating from a place of authenticity and compassion. It's not from a place of getting money. It's not from a place of getting a promotion or improving my status. It really is, how can I do the best job for a product that I believe in and really 
fundamentally believe that it's serving my users. And I think if you're coming at it from that lens first, I really do think everything's going to fall into place, right? It's a cliche thing where it's like, don't chase the money, do the good work and the money will come. I think that is very similar for um, sales and working with people. Fantastic. Nadim, thank you so much for sharing with everyone here. For everybody tuning in, so many knowledge nuggets and insights, but best of all, I think there's inspiration for you to know that there's some incredible opportunities that exist, amazing companies like TKS that are going to be nurturing a new generation of talents. But if you are out there, there are so many ways that you can show up at 110%, getting the mentorship, getting the coaches, knowing about the networks, knowing about how you can develop your skills, your mindset, and so much more. So exciting to have you on the show, Nadim, and thank you all the best. And for everybody else tuning in, keep selling with love. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried and true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.